This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit wogcc.com. For those of you who don't know me well, this is my normal voice. The, <laughs> the audio track that I normally preach with was broken this morning, the one that I lip synced to, you know, so... Um, no, I'm struggling with a little bit of a cold, and so I just ask that you bear with me this morning. Um, I was really excited last week to go through the message on doctrine and kind of kick off this new series. We talked about what doctrine is. We talked about why it's important, but then we also talked about the doctrine of the church. And so if you missed that, I would encourage you, go back and watch it. Go back and listen to it. You can watch it or listen to it on the app. We're going to do this for a couple more weeks and, uh, and, and I think it's going to be a great series to help you grow and know why you believe what you believe. And I think that's so important, especially in this day and age. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. All right, so today we're going to talk about the subject of the Trinity. And I know a lot of you may have your own idea or understanding of what the Trinity is and what it means and why should you even need to know it. What's the importance of you needing to know the doctrine of the Trinity. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the doctrine of the Trinity. So our church's doctrinal statement concerning the Trinity reads like this. The one true God. We believe in one God, the creator of all things, eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are co-equal and infinitely perfect. Now, I know that some people would pipe up and say, the word Trinity is not even in the Bible. And guess what? You're right. The word Trinity is not in the Bible at all. You can research all the different languages and ways that you want to try to find it. You will not find the word Trinity. But the concept of the Trinity is constant in Scripture. It is literally woven all throughout Scripture from the very beginning in the book of Genesis chapter 1. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, go ahead and go to the book of John. Let's look at John, the 20th chapter. Book of John, chapter 20. John chapter 20, we'll look at verse 20. When Jesus had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So we can, we can see that this is after Jesus has risen from the grave. Then the disciples were glad when they saw him. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So you see here, Jesus spoke as the very Son of God, referring to the Father. He said, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And then he said, now receive the Holy Spirit. So although the word Trinity is not used in Scripture, we see this idea of the co-equal person of God being manifest in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this is just one instance. It happens over and over again in Scripture. But God 
is one. And I want to be very clear about that. God is one. Make no mistake, we do not worship three different gods, okay? We're not worshiping three different gods. The doctrine of the Trinity does not deny the oneness of God, nor does it classify power rankings of like different versions of God. I know you guys are all interested in the power rankings of your fantasy football league. (laughs) And you're wanting to know, are we moving up in the ranks? Are we moving down in the ranks? Well, if you selected certain players from a certain state, from a certain team, you're probably down in your power rankings. I'm not naming any names. That was a laugh break so I could drink my tea. I appreciate that. (laughs) But here's the thing. God is one, and the Trinity represents three distinct functions or persons or personalities of God, but make no mistake, God is one. Let's go to the very beginning. Let's go to the book of Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1 and verse 1. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. It didn't say gods. It said God, one, singular, created the heavens and the earth. But then look at this. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And then the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. And then skip over to verse 26 in Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then flip over to Genesis chapter 11. Since we're in Genesis, let's go over to Genesis chapter 11. And let's look at verse 7, the story of the Tower of Babel. Verse 7 says, God speaking here, he says, come let us go down and confuse their language so they may not understand one another's speech because they're all speaking the same language and trying to build a tower to heaven. And at the Tower of Babel, God confused the the people's speech and they couldn't understand one another. But as we look at the very foundational book in the Bible, as we look at the very introduction that we have to who God is, We see this idea of one God, but yet we see these different functions of God, but still the same God. Never do we see God referred to in a multiple sense of being more than one God. It's always God singular, but then we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit co-equal, co-powerful, all still being God, working together over and over and over again. Now, The book of Genesis was written long before Jesus was ever uh, born on this earth, but yet referenced over and over again in the Old Testament. Sometimes he's called the angel of the Lord, or you'll see him referenced as the son of man. You'll see these different references foretold in prophecies for telling about Jesus, but that doesn't mean that Jesus was created No, that just means when he was sent to this earth in the form of the man, but he has always existed. He always has been there. Go over to the book of Isaiah in the 61st chapter, Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, this is a prophetic reading 
that actually we're going to see Jesus read. Isaiah 61 and verse 1, Isaiah wrote this hundreds of years before Jesus ever came to the earth in the form of a man. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Now, with that in mind, go over to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Jesus goes to the temple on the Sabbath day, as was his tradition. Look at Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. And he, Jesus, came up to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and it was his custom to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolls up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So the thing that was written hundreds of years before Jesus ever actually came on the scene and we knew him as Jesus. He said this was prophesied, this was written about me, this was fulfilled in front of your very eyes. Go over to Matthew chapter 28. I know we're flipping around a lot today. Don't forget you can use version, and you can have a copy actually of the notes that I've prepared so that way if you miss some you can go on that Bible app and you can utilize that. Or if you didn't understand something I said. I mean you got southern twang plus living in Wisconsin for five years mixed with a head cold. So um, I'm sure some of you guys are like what is he saying? So Matthew 28 and verse, let's look at verse 18. This is what we call the Great Commission. This is Jesus commissioning his followers, his disciples, before he ascends into heaven. Matthew 28 and 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, we see clearly all throughout Scripture, and I could give you, man, I could give you so many examples. We would literally be here all day giving examples of Scriptures just like this, referencing God as being the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, co-equal, but yet one and the same. And there's a lot of people who take issue with the idea of the Trinity, especially when it concerns them all being co-equal. And you need to understand this because the world would love to challenge this idea. Even certain sects of so-called faith would want to challenge these ideas. And if you're not solid in what you believe and why you believe it, you'll actually begin to question one of the most foundational doctrines of the Christian church. And 
you'll say, well, why can't we just believe a different way? The main problem with that is that the Trinity reiterates and affirms the deity of Jesus Christ, our foundation and cornerstone. And if you don't understand the deity of Jesus Christ, he wasn't just a good man doing good things. He didn't just come and, and die on a cross and perform a few miracles. No, he was God in the flesh. And he was God at creation before you and I knew beginning. He was there in the beginning. And if you don't understand that, you're going to miss out on a key element of the foundational doctrine of what it means to be a Christian. So this is very important that you understand this. And you may be thinking, oh, I understand. I believe in the Trinity. I don't want you to just say I believe in the Trinity. I want you to know why you believe in the Trinity. And I want you to be able to be more solid in what you believe and why you believe it. So this is very important. Mormonism says that there are multiple gods in the Godhead and that men and women have an opportunity to become a god like Jesus did. So Mormonism, the problem with Mormonism is that they believe that Jesus was a man, but he wasn't yet a God. And he became a God through the way he lived on this earth and the things that he did. So therefore, he was elevated to a God-like status. And the Mormon church teaches to this day that our goal is to become a God-like person and if you're a strong enough and a big enough God, you kind of get to rule your own planet. And it's this really crazy stuff that they don't teach you when they come knocking on your door with their name tags and their bicycles. They don't teach you that. They want to teach. Now listen to me. They want to teach you how close their religion is to yours. They don't want to tell you that kind of crazy stuff. They would never lead off with that because they're good salesmen. And they want to come to your door and try to get you to think that, oh, Mormons and Christians are the same. No, Mormons and Christians are not the same because they do not believe that Jesus Christ is and was God before the foundations of the world. They believe he became a God. That's very heretical, and it's sneaky. It's sneaky, and, 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 and listen to me. I'm sure that a lot of those people are good-natured people, but they need to understand the foundational truth of what the Word of God says and not what they believe Joseph Smith received on some gold tablets from an angel. And you need to understand that because there's a lot of voices out there in the world that would want to try to get you to believe certain things, and they're not going to lead off with that. So I'm not, for, I'm not against you inviting the Mormon in your home to discuss what you believe, but you better know why you believe it. Otherwise, you'll get hooked into this thing of going, oh, man, well, yeah, that makes sense. No, you need to know it, and you need to be solid in it. Amen, somebody? <clears throat> so it's not that uh, it, it's, it's Jesus has always been, and Jesus is God, and the Father is God, and the Holy Spirit is God, and the three are one. Now, there's another teaching that you need to be aware of, and it's the Jesus name only teaching. A lot of you may have heard of this Jesus-only teaching that is referred to as modalism. Modalism teaches that God has different modes that he operates in, kind of like he's wearing a mask, and he takes off this mask and then puts on another mask, and he's operating in different modes. But there's not three distinct persons of the Godhead. They don't believe that. They believe that Jesus 
is God, but then he takes off the Jesus mask and becomes different, and there's not three persons in one. Now, the problem with this is primarily Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Matthew 3, 16 and 17 is where Jesus was baptized. And when Jesus was baptized, something very significant happened that was recorded on multiple accounts. When Jesus was baptized and he came up out of the water, what happened? The heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And then the Father spoke and said, this is my son whom I am well pleased. All of these things are happening at the same time. Jesus didn't say, hang on a second. This is my beloved son. Oh, hang on, got to do the dove thing. I'll be right back. No, the Bible says that these three things happened all at the same time. So there's a huge error in modalism. And a lot of, and, and modalists believe that in order for you to be saved, you have to be baptized in Jesus' name only. They believe that when you are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that that didn't count. Matter of fact, I, I have a, a, a guy that told me he believes that the Lord is going to give him the opportunity to baptize me in Jesus' name only so I can really be a Christian. Because he doesn't believe that I'm a Christian. Because I haven't been baptized in Jesus' name only. But here we see Jesus in Matthew 28 says, Go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And where modalists get this whole baptizing in Jesus' name only is from the book of Acts. you got to remember the book of Acts is a historical book, not a doctrinal book. It's a book written by Luke the physician who is writing it as history of the church and the birthing of the church, not as doctrine for the church. And there is one instance where it says that Peter and the disciples baptized them in Jesus' name. And what Peter was referring, and what Luke was referring to that Peter did was baptizing them the way Jesus instructed the baptisms to go. Because we see also in the book of Acts that they were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So don't get confused with that stuff. There's a lot of stuff out there that would try to get you to go the modalism route, but God does not operate in three different modes. It is three different persons, but yet the same God. <clears throat> the last thing that I want to kind of make you privy to that I think is important for you to know the doctrine of the Trinity is that there is a belief primarily held by Jehovah's Witness that they deny the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all equally God. The Jehovah's Witness believe that Jesus was created by God but isn't necessarily as equal as God, and he hasn't always existed. They believe that it was a creation of God and not God himself. So we need to understand that they are all three eternal. They are all three coexisting, but they are all three one. And I want to say this. God the Father is God. Now, God was before Mary, right? And so was the Son. Jesus was before Mary. That's why we don't pray to Mary. That's why we don't pray to other people because they were just humans used by God like me and you. Jesus is the Word manifested before us. He is God who became man, not man who became God. And you need to know the difference. If you have your Bible, go over to John 
the 14th chapter. John, the 14th chapter. I guess listening to me teach today is kind of like listening to someone like with an Australian accent. Because you're like, oh, that's cool. He has an accent. That's different. Because you guys are plugged in today. I appreciate that. What if I, I could start doing my Australian accent, mate? And we could do it. Sound a little Jack Sparrow-ish today. Jack Sparrow sermon. That's terrible. I'm also on medication. <laughs> John, John chapter 14, lots of it. John chapter 14, let's see verse 9, John 14 and verse 9. Let's look at this. We're going to read through verse 11. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long that you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me, check this out. Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Because if you read verse 8 before it, Philip says, hey, if, if you're so close to God, why don't you show us the Father? And he said, Philip, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. He said, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. He's saying, listen, this is not something that is different. He said, this is God in front of you manifest. And you need to recognize that the Father is God. And Jesus, the Son, is God. Go over to John 8 and 58, since you're in John Flip back a few pages there. John 8 and 58. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Wow. Jesus is saying to the crowd, before Abraham, thousands of years prior who lived, before Abraham was on the scene, he said, I am. And he's not just saying, I am, in the sense of, I existed. No, he's saying, I am, in the sense of, you remember, when God spoke to Moses in the burning bush. When Moses said, who are you? How did God answer Moses? Do you remember? He said, I am that I am. And Jesus is saying, listen, I am. Before even Abraham, I am. John 20 and 28. Jesus said, Jesus answered, and or Thomas answered after Jesus appears to doubting Thomas and says, my Lord and my God. You see, even Thomas prior uh, to Jesus' appearance was doubting. And then Jesus appears and when Thomas recognizes it. What does he say? What does he say? He doesn't say, Jesus, it's my, it's my Lord, my, my Savior. No, he says, my Lord and my God. He acknowledged that Jesus was God. Go over to Romans chapter 9 and verse 5. It says, to them 
belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed and forever. Amen. Here, the Apostle Paul, writing to the Roman church, acknowledges that Jesus Christ is God. Titus chapter 2. And verse 13 says, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The acknowledgement yet again that Jesus Christ is God. And the last scripture concerning Jesus the Son is God. First John chapter 5. First John chapter 5 and verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ, He is the true God and eternal life. Man, the deity of Jesus Christ has been under attack in the church in four specific periods in history. That specific doctrine that would question whether or not Jesus was just a good man. That would question whether or not Jesus was actually God. But maybe he was a form of God, but not quite as powerful as God. There are four specific times in history, the 3rd century, the 4th century, the 19th, and the 20th century, and it's continuing even in our day. Where we see that even Hollywood likes the idea of Jesus, but Hollywood doesn't want to say he's God. Hollywood wants to portray Jesus as a nice guy. He's kind of a hippie figure. You know, I love everybody. Long hair, beard. It's kind of popular right now, the old beard thing. And they're like, oh, Jesus is cool. He's trendy. He's loved. And they don't understand he's God. When you're talking about Jesus, you're talking about Jesus, who is also God, the Son, a part of the Godhead, a part of the Trinity. Don't you dare think for a moment or let this world make you think that Jesus is somehow lesser or not equal to because he dwelt among us. Man, that's why people have such a hard time with this. They understand God is God, the Father. I get that. I can even go with the Holy Spirit. But Jesus, that that was like a real person that actually lived and like actually walked on the earth. Yes, and he was God. And he still is God. And he will forever be God. And he's always been God. Amen, somebody. And you need to understand that, man. If you look at the one thing that Satan cringes at and the one thing that he tries to steal away from Jesus is the fact that he is God wrapped in flesh and dwelt among us. The enemy would love to challenge that and just portray Jesus as a nice guy. And he tries to do that through a lot of different methods today. And you need to be sharp on that. You need to be solid on that. Jesus is not man who became God, but he is God who became man and dwelt among us. And then lastly, the Holy Spirit is God. And let me say this. The Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. Right? 
That was a good amen part. I was gonna, I was gonna drink some tea while you guys amen, and and clapped and cheered and backflipped. The Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person of the Trinity, not a force, not a thing, but a person of the Trinity. Check this out in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30 says this, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. And it cannot be grieved. A person can be grieved. This is the Holy Spirit who is God, a part of the Trinity. And the Holy Spirit, he can be grieved. Acts 7 and 51 says that you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you resist the Holy Spirit said you're resisting the Holy Spirit, not resisting a force, not resisting an it, not resisting a thing, but resisting him, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit leads us and guides us. Jesus said, it's better for you that I go away so I can send the comforter, the Holy Spirit, who can come and empower you and can convict you and can do his work in the world. And the Holy Spirit is actively empowering believers with gifts that he gives us, gifts of the Holy Spirit that he wants us to be baptized into, to be able to let people know about Jesus because the Godhead works together. The Holy Spirit works in you and through you to bring people to Jesus and to glorify God because they all three work together. The Holy Spirit comforts us. Jesus called the Holy Spirit the comforter. That means paraclete in the Greek, which means side aid. We use the word paralegal. That means a legal person who's working with you on a case. A paraclete means my aid, my helper, my side aid, my comforter, the Holy Spirit. And that's who he is. And then he empowers us. Jesus said in the book of Acts, he told the disciples to go and wait on high. He said, because you're going to be endued with power. He said, you're going to be endued with power to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, through the ends of the earth. He said, the Holy Spirit is going to empower you to be a witness because he's going to give you gifts as he wills to begin to be used to bring glory to God and bring people to Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is God. Now, you think, Pastor, this is great information, and I appreciate all the study you did. And I appreciate all of the teaching you've done, but I kind of feel like I know that. And why do I need to know that? Listen, the Trinity affects the entire life of a Christian. The Trinity affects, affects our entire life. First Peter chapter 1. <coughs> you guys doing good out there, by the way? Yeah. I appreciate you you're, you're being real, real, real quiet to try to listen in. But uh, First Peter... Chapter 1 and verse 2 says this. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. 
You see here, we see in Peter's greeting in his opening in his first letter here that he's saying, listen, we have this foreknowledge of God the Father, the sanctification process that the Holy Spirit is working in us, and Jesus Christ, who we're to obey and to follow. Each of the persons of the Trinity of the Godhead has a role to play, but they work together. One of the greatest places that you can see this is Ephesians chapter 1. <coughs> Ephesians chapter 1 in the Pauline prayer as he greets the church at Ephesus. Ephesians 1 and verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of our trespasses according to the richness of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to open Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel for your salvation, believed in him, and you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it through the praise of His glory. Our whole salvation is affected by the Trinity. Our whole salvation is affected by the Trinity. It's the love that the Father predestined us to salvation. And God the Son entered into history and died in our place for our sins. And then He rose again. Then the Holy Spirit takes up residence in the Christian by making us alive through regeneration from our dead life before because of sin. And then he renews our minds and seals us for eternity with God to make us more like Jesus, to bring glory to God. And we see the work of the Trinity in our lives. And, and I know that, man, this has been a lot of scripture. And you can also look at John 1 and 1. You can read through verse 18. In the beginning was the Word. Word was God. Word was with God. And we see all these scriptures over and over again. And you go, man, this sounds really great, but it's a little complicated. If you think that it's complicated, then I want to give you this illustration before we close. What part of this apple is not an apple? What part? There's no part of this apple that's not an apple. The whole thing's an apple. But yet, there's the skin of the apple, there's the inner fruit, there's the core, but you could not take any one of these pieces away from this apple and it would cease to be an apple, would it? No, it's all an apple. If I sliced it up, presented it to you different ways, you would go, yeah, that's an apple. But yet it has different parts, but they're all one. This is the most simple way that I know to communicate to you the principle of the Trinity. To say that He is God the Father, He is God the Son, He is God the Holy Spirit. There may be different 
persons, different functions. But which part of this apple would you say was more important than the other? Um, none, right? Because without one of these parts of this piece of fruit, it ceases to really be an apple. You, you got to have all of it. It kind of makes up the apple. And that's exactly how the Trinity works. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Understanding the Trinity is part of being a solid Christian. Helps us to avoid false teachers. Jesus said, beware of false teachers. And the only way I know to beware of false teachers is to make sure we know the truth. Just like when new bankers are trained on how to be able to find false currency that would slip through the bank. They don't teach them false currency. They teach them what the real stuff looks like and what it's supposed to feel like and how the real stuff is supposed to appear and be laid out. And it's the same thing with you and I. We need to know the truth so when something tries to slip past us or tries to infiltrate our life or our heart or something that may be popular that we see on TV or even a bestseller book, or even something that sounds close, but something's just not right, you'll be able to know why. Because I want you to be equipped to not be tossed about with every wind of doctrine that comes around. I want you to be solid. I want you to know what you believe and why you believe it, and not just because Pastor Derek said so, because that's not going to hold up in eternity. It's got to be because God said so, Amen. Not because Pastor Derek said, I'm a man, I'm flawed, I have my opinion about certain things. Some of my opinions are probably right, some of them are wrong. I do my best to try to speak to you what I see that God said and not what I think. And if it's something I think that I'm not sure of, I'll tell you, this is what I think. But if I know and I see it in Scripture, I'm going to say, this is what God said. And what I can see in Scripture clearly shows the power and the unity of the Godhead the Trinity, the truth that sets men free. So my prayer and my goal today is that you have gotten stronger in your belief and understanding of who God is because the more you know Him, guess what, folks? The more you trust Him. The more you know Him when the winds come and the waves come, you can go, that is not my God that's trying to do this or that because I know who He is. And my life is built on the solid rock that is Jesus Christ. So here's my challenge to you. I'm going to give you a little bit of homework. I want you to read Ephesians chapter 1, 1 through 14, every morning this week, all right? Could you do that? Could you make a commitment just to first thing in the morning, read Ephesians 1, 1 through 14, every morning this week. It's just 14 simple verses. It shouldn't take you very long. You just need to make a point, make it a non-negotiable, Right? Make it a non-negotiable. This is, this is not something that, uh, that, that, that I'm going to maybe do. No, it's a non-negotiable at a certain time. I'm going to read it. Read it with spouse. Read it with kids. Read it by yourself. Whatever. Make a non-negotiable time to read Ephesians 1, 1 through 14, and I want you to think on it. That's what the Bible calls meditating. That means thinking on the Word. You're thinking on that same thing over and over again, and watch what God stirs in your heart because I want you to be confident. And I believe that this doctrine of the Trinity is going to become more uh, and, and, and stronger and it's going to become more of that central understanding and revelation that God's going to bring to you as you study His Word.
because that's where revelation comes from anyways. So I want you to see who you are in Christ. I want you to know whose you are. And I want you to grow. So let's make a commitment to do that so we can be solid in what we believe and why we believe it. Amen? Amen. God, I thank you for this day. Thank you that you've given me the strength to continue to share. Even though I'm struggling physically, I ask for your healing touch just to do a work in my physical body to continue to share your word as I have another service here in just a little while with people that are going to hear the doctrine of the Trinity. I pray, Father, that everyone who has heard in this service, that you would stir in them, God, an awakening to see the truth so that they can be set free from bondage, so they can be set free from lies, so they can be set free from misunderstandings, and so they can truly see you at work in the Scripture, and they can see you at work in their lives. I pray you do a great work in each one of our hearts today. We love you and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.